Section 11 of War Flying by a Pilot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. War Flying by a Pilot by Lassell Finer Hutchin. Book 2 On Active Service. Chapter 2 Part 2 hot air stuff i had some ping-pong to-day quite a relaxation after the job i did this morning i went out with an observer on a howitzer shoot an officer in this case we went over to the lines arriving there about eleven fifteen a m and rang up the battery all being well we ploughed over the lines to have a look at the target in hunland the battery then fired, and the observer watched for the burst and wirelessed back the correction. Each shot fired meant a journey over the lines, and each time we went over, the Huns got madder and madder and loosed off Archie at us in buckets full. Archie to the right of us, Archie to the left of us, etc. We were fairly plastered in Archie. Each time I crossed the lines, I did so at a different altitude. The first five times I climbed higher each time to throw the range out, and the next five times I came down a bit each time. The last five times I was so fed up with their dud shooting that I went across at whatever altitude I happened to be at, and that probably upset them more than ever. At any rate, they fired about six hundred shells at us in the course of that shoot, allowing roughly forty shells per crossing at least, and fifteen crossings, and the only damage they did was to put a small hole through my top plane. My, they must have been disgusted. The strafe took place between 5,000 feet and 6,000 feet altitude. The Archies got so near sometimes that we went through the smoke from the shell. Of course it would never do to go on flying a straight course. It is a case of dodge, twist, turn, and dive at odd and unexpected moments, and when it gets rarely too hot, run away and come back at a different altitude a big strafe the boches started a big strafe yesterday and so kept us all busy on counter-battery work that is spotting the flashes of the hun guns and wirelessing down their positions to the artillery who either fire at them or note their positions for a future occasion with all the German guns going, the woods behind the lines were a blaze of flashes, and we sent down as many in the afternoon as the battery had got in the previous six weeks. The artillery were naturally rather bucked. It was a wonderful sight seeing all the shells bursting along the miles of trenches and the huge white spreading gas shells at intervals. One could hear the bang of our big guns when they fired salvos from under us and at times we got bumps from the shells passing near us in the air. Shell bumps are fairly common, and I have had them before. I don't know how near the shells pass, but moving at that speed they would affect the air for a long way round. I felt them at five thousand feet once. They were not being shot at us, but shells which passed through to Hundland so. We got a wireless report here of a naval battle, and not a cheery one at that. We are all waiting to see what the papers will have to say about it tomorrow. Later. The C.O. has just been on the phone about the naval battle, and we are relieved to hear that it was not so bad as we had heard at first, 
or rather that the German losses were not so few as we were told. I must stop, as I have some letters to censor, hoping this finds you, as it leaves me, in the pink. We have had two or three days of rest, as the weather has been too bad for flying. The naval battle was not a defeat after all, and it seems a case of as you were in France, so we just sit here and play ping-pong and wait for the army to win the war. We have just had the papers with the news of the loss of Kitchener. We got the story by wireless a couple of days ago, but could not believe it until we saw it actually in print. It is a big blow, though probably morally more than in any other way. Bad news has come through from the wing. Our ten days' leave will in future be cut down to seven days from time of leaving Ham. That means five clear days in England. I only know this, that I shall be pleased to have leave in England, however short it is. It is a case of so near and yet so far. An hour and a half or two hours flying on a clear day would land me at home for tea, always providing I did not miss my way. But we don't have such a bad time here on the whole, and I am perfectly frank with you in my letters. On carefully analysing my feelings, I believe I am actually enjoying the life, for we certainly do have the best time of any branch of the army when our job is over. End of section 11 Narrated by Thomas Rose